Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey everyone, welcome to the 237th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by our new patron, Liam Devine. I'm Oren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Enlow. Today we've got the directors behind Save Yourselves, a new indie feature starring Sunita Mani and John Paul Reynolds. The directors are Alex Houston Fisher and Eleanor Wilson. They're not only creative partners, but partners in real life as well. Uh, so Whoa, we have a real team. I know. I know. Look at that. Yeah, it's our first couple in a while. So we thought they'd be a really interesting duo. We also don't often talk to co-directors, which is a unique thing for us. Save Yourselves is super fun. It's kind of a genre mash of a rom-com plus a sci-fi. We have a really good conversation about the nature of collaboration, the nature of art reflecting life in certain circumstances, and also just how you go about combining two seemingly disparate genres and ideas to make one new cool thing yeah it's awesome and the movie's really awesome and yeah so i knew like nothing about the movie before i watched it other than that it had played at sundance and sometimes it's really fun to watch movies like that so i recommend you check it out but before we talk to alex and eleanor matt i'm dying to know what have you been working on lately? Yeah, man, I'm back to work, which has been really nice. I'm writing and directing a new set of spots that shoot super darn soon. I got hired last Thursday. We were going to shoot this Friday. We just pushed it to this Monday. And you're shooting in person like you're going to be on a set? I'm going to be on a set for the first time in months. I'm both looking forward to it and dreading it a little bit, but because this is with some very high profile talent and therefore had to be SAG and there were a lot of extra precautions taken around it and everything is outdoors, I felt much more comfortable with the idea. Because you're saying the SAG thing is making you feel like the rules will be followed more closely? Yeah, and that people are required to submit their plans to SAG for them to sign off on as well. So basically any sort of union, I think has a pretty high standard in terms of 
testing and, you know, requirements around, you know, COVID managers and things like that. So just knowing that there was like a black and white tried and true tested plan that we would have to implement rather than winging it a little bit. Um, not that anyone on this team would do that, but just knowing that there was something that other productions were doing and a set of standards basically with which to follow rather than, you know, just going off of hunches or inclinations, you know. Yeah. Like if I was I'm like more no, of a I hunch read, man. I read in the New York Times that we shouldn't do this, you know, no, or no, I no. saw on Facebook you have that to we read should, on Twitter. shouldn't do that. Right, right, exactly. Andy Slavitt, whatever he says, I'll do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so so that made me feel a little more at ease with everything. And like I said, because I'm writing them, I could write them to, you know, be really thoughtful about those precautions. Yes. You're like, a man stands alone in a giant field. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Long lens. Why are you shooting on a Monday? I guess that traditional idea of like shooting in the middle of the week for a one day shoot for equipment purposes, pick up, drop off. Does that affect you? You know, it's really because when you're shooting with super fancy talent, their schedule is what dictates everything else, basically. So does that mean you're going to get all your gear on Friday and then just keep it over the weekend? Potentially, yeah. And do you have your whole crew together? No. So it also an, an additional wrinkle is that we are shooting out of town. So we'll be traveling. And so the cost of uh, traveling people has become a much bigger concern because of the cost of traveling people just as tricky plus you know covid basically all of those precautions are extra on top of what would normally be like a solid healthy budget but is like now a little more strapped basically yeah everyone's like have adding on these covid surcharges i was budgeting something for someone and they're like yeah you gotta like sanitizer, masks, all these things like space. You need extra tables for lunch because people are sitting like two to a table. Even my pediatrician, my kid's pediatrician, like uh, charged me an extra 15 bucks for COVID stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Gloves are expensive, Warren. Haven't you heard? Are you spending the night there? I will be spending the night there. Yeah. Oh, in the wherever you're shooting like that. Correct. City? Yes. At a I hotel? At a hotel. Yes. Oh, but it's a one day shoot. Correct. That's true. It's a far enough drive that it it's out of the zone the the tmz as it were and we'll also have a build slash prep day so uh, i'll drive down i'll have two nights there basically which will be nice i think my guess is that we haven't talked about what the tmz is probably in over 100 episodes can you just give us a quick for our newer listeners that are not hollywood insiders can you yeah. know what the well, famous uh, is the, is TV it, news organization, TMZ? Mm -hmm. Hold on. Let me after? go get my big gulp or whatever it is he drinks out of. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, so the TMZ, the reason that that famous news website is named the TMZ is because the TMZ refers to the 30 mile zone, which is the kind of strange map that we use for filmmakers to determine whether or not someone has to spend the night somewhere else basically so if you were within the 30 mile zone then it is legal and permissible to ask crew members and actors in particular to drive to location if they're beyond the 30 mile zone then you have to put them up somewhere right. so the tmz re refers to the zone in which hollywood people tend to be basically right so on the north end it's like santa clarita thousand oaks simi valley and on the south end it's like Seal Beach, Long Beach, Fullerton, Anaheim, kind of north, northern Orange County. So if, if I wanted to shoot in southern Orange County with a SAG actor, they would have to spend the night the night before the shoot. Yeah, I've done it uh, on non-union shoots too. Not not the, I guess not the spending the night, but the interesting thing is like I've shot in Wrightwood and Palmdale and 
places like that, Victorville and Lake Arrowhead, you have to, even if people are driving themselves on the day of the shoot, you know, usually let's say your call time is 8 a.m., you know, that you get to set at 8 a.m. and that's when your time card starts and that's when you start getting paid technically. But if your location is outside of this 30-mile zone, then you get start getting paid the minute your car passes the edge of that 30-mile zone. So let's say you're shooting in Wrightwood and it's like half an hour outside of the zone. You have to account for that half an hour drive on both ends and you lose an hour of your actual workday. So kind of kind of fascinating or not at all if you uh, don't care about shooting in California. But so you are shooting in California. You're just shooting outside of the 30-mile zone. You're going to spend two nights in a hotel. Mm-hmm. Wow, Matt, it's big for you. I know. I am excited, though. I have not left my apartment in 45 years. So <laughs> yes. I'm excited to see what, you how the 30. world has changed. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And you're writing these two. How many spots are you writing? And how much is like the agency or the production company involved in the scripting? They've been really collaborative. It's 420-ish second spots. They're all digital. So there's latitude there. They could be as short as 15 or as long as 30. But you know, we're trying to keep them simple more because we have uh, time constraints with the talent. So four of those and then two teasers on top of that, that won't be talent specific. It's been super fun. You know, like it's like, did they send you a list of ideas and then you wrote scripts based on that? Yeah. I mean, so it's, they're Halloween themed and they're with, uh, I guess I can say an athlete that play an athlete with a specific sport. And so mm-hmm. you ping can pong, say, yeah, so if it's ping pong and Halloween, then, you know, that's four spots where it's like, okay, well, let's, let's do one where he's giving out paddles for trigger to, to trigger. Triggers. Right, right, exactly. Or, or he's using his ping pong paddle to hit the candy into each of the kids, you know, trigger treat buckets or whatever like that. So it's, they kind of write themselves. They get pretty, yeah. pretty straightforward. Have to jump over a net and if they mm-hmm. touch it. You have mm-hmm. to do it again. Right, right, exactly. So you get the iconography and the game relatively quickly. And so you can kind of like, my job is mostly in how to craft a solid punchline or how to heighten. And they can say things like, oh, what if we did a thing with lawn decorations? You know, like, so So it's it's actually a really, it's been fun and fulfilling and pretty straightforward because I think the the quote unquote game of how to craft them is pretty clear. And do you study like this athlete's specific personality or study yeah, uh, his yeah. other work to see kind of... There were a few... Well, he was clear about like uh, with Halloween, like where the line was for him in terms of like gore or scares or anything like that. And so we're keeping them, you know, pretty wholesome and pretty fun and pretty yeah. grounded. It's kind of like Lovecraft Country slash the boys level. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little Game of Thrones, but mm-hmm. nothing too, yeah, nothing yeah, too yeah. gory. Yeah, the uh, the blood buckets are uh, are flowing. <laughs> no, it's it's much more. I keep talking about the scene in ET where they go trick or treating as like a a touch point of like suburban, wholesome, eclectic, you know, down to earth Halloween. Right. And is there any uh, acknowledgement whatsoever of the fact that many kids will not be trick or treating this year? That is not acknowledged. However, we will have some kids wearing masks and oh because it's halloween yeah no no medical masks uh which is interesting because i kind of was like well if every kid is dressed up as a you know a doctor a wolfman or a doctor or a ninja you know then their their faces are covered that should be good right or do we want to explicitly show that we are in fact wearing masks and so i think the latter is is where we're going with it actually to show that we're being conscientious about it in front of the screen as well as behind. Interesting. 
mask believer, mask denier. You're all welcome here at this house. <laughs> cool. Before we hop into our interview, I just want to remind people real quick, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It's going awesome. You should join in. Get a hat. I'm going to mail out a hat today to Maddie Delk, uh, which I'm very excited about because I always love an excuse to leave my house. <laughs> anyway, check it out. Patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. You can give a dollar, four dollars, ten dollars. $4,000, whatever really you feel like yeah, you want to give any right now. and all of the above, I think, are totally appropriate. Just as long as it's a DGA minimum for patron patronage, we'd appreciate that. And for $10, we'll send you a hat, a Just Shoot It hat, which I've made. I'm going to wear my Just Shoot It hat from now on. I've been not wearing it because I think it's like weird to wear your own stuff like on set, but I feel like I should wear it because then people on set will know about our podcast. Yeah, yeah. Right? So I'm, I'm encouraging you to wear yours for your shoot. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. It goes great with a, a face shield. A face shield plus mask. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be wearing goggles as well. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> and a bubble suit. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, let's talk to Eleanor and Alex. I know you all are going to like this conversation. Hey folks, we're interrupting this incredible episode of the podcast to tell you about a new sponsor that we're working with, Front Row Insurance Brokers. One of the challenges of being a filmmaker is that there's a lot of risks that we take and we really just want to focus on making good stuff. So what if there was a company that could take those risks, manage them for us while we are being artists? That's right. Front Row Insurance Brokers arranges film production insurance to cover the risks associated with your production. They cover features, TV shows, documentaries, commercials, music videos, webisodes, basically anything you can watch on big media or phone-sized screens. Yeah, Front Row will help you focus on your artistic vision by transferring all the risks to them and minimizing your production hazards. And they cover any budget from $2,000 all the way up to $200 million. There's nothing that's too small or too big. If you are shooting in Canada, use coupon code JUSTSHOOTIT50OFF for 50 bucks off your film production insurance. That's promo code JUSTSHOOTIT50 off to save 50 bucks. And if you're shooting in the U.S., that same code can be redeemed offline by mentioning it to a broker, by email, or over the phone. It's like a cool password if you're in the U.S. That's just shoot it 50 off. Check them out. Let us know how it goes. So Save Yourselves is a movie about a couple, a Brooklynite couple who is addicted to technology like the rest of us. And it's depicted so perfectly. I think it was. I was kind of busy looking at my phone during the movie. But trying to go off the grid, get away and turn everything off, and it happens to be during an alien attack on Earth, so they are caught a little bit unknowing of what the hell is going on. They're behind the curve of the rest of society because they're not plugged into anything. And so it's about them kind of figuring out what's going on and ostensibly watching their relationship grow as it's being challenged in this way. There so, you go. Yeah. That's a, pretty good. It's pitch perfect, especially the part, yeah. the, the joke in the middle where you said you hadn't really watched it because you were yeah, busy on your Yeah, we phone. added that into the log line. <laughs> yeah. We will from now on. Thanks. And I love the poster. It's one of those posters that at first you don't realize there's like a joke in there. And then once you've seen the movie or you've seen the trailer... And you look a little more carefully at the poster, you realize, oh, wait, that's that's a very fuzzy earth. Yeah. <laughs> so your movie is much like The Matrix in that the less you know, <laughs> the, yeah. the yeah. yeah. Yeah, there were some people who went to early test screenings who had no idea what they were in for. They were like the plus one of 
of a friend yes. of a friend or something and we're kind of disappointed when it wasn't and, just a rom-com and like you said it's we wanted it to feel like a rom-com that gets taken over by a sci-fi plot and there are some people who just wished it remained yeah, a rom-com never, never and we're not interested at all in Wait, the science no. fiction who, part of it who yeah. who would be bothered by a sci-fi in a rom-com uh, it's like one out of every yeah. ten people is just yeah. like oh I like the characters and I would have just watched them and we were <laughs> like where did you think that was gonna go I mean because I, I was like, oh, this is kind of like if you took an episode of High Maintenance and mixed it with uh, a Black Mirror, right? And some people are like, yeah, that show's not for me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So yeah. that's the answer. I felt like what's good about the movie is that you, the characters are really committed and are really funny all the way through. And I was actually curious about the tone. I feel like there's probably this tendency once scythe aliens attack Earth and things are shit is getting real you want so to go speak. zany a little bit or or or, maybe or serious more serious sure yeah but, like a little more levity. independence day or something yeah yeah but the levity of their relationship never really goes away which i do think feels real to me yeah the stakes are still almost always about their relationship and not quite as much about whether they live or die yeah i mean we wanted to always sort of like keep it um fun and funny I guess throughout the whole thing like we think of it more of a comedy than anything else I think if you go into it thinking you're about to watch a sci-fi movie you might be a little bit disappointed because <laughs> it never really um, you know fully I guess it does sort of go there at the end but um, we try and sort of turn all the sci-fi trope, tropes on their head and actually I guess disappoint in that <laughs> deliberately disappoint in that way that it's like they're never really going to find out what's going on. We're never going to know what's happening with these aliens and they're not going to succeed, really. We talked a lot about the tone remaining intact when like halfway through the movie things start to get very crazy and it and it, and it was like a combination of what are the things that happen to them uh, how do we show them and keeping them honest on how they react to stuff was like where all the sense of humor mm -hmm. came from. And I think that also made it more grounded. And then through the editing, it was just like also right. maintaining that. It's just like throughout the whole process, that was just an ongoing conversation about right. how to maintain that. So I'm glad you think so. Yeah, there's really only a couple moments where we sort of like allow it to have like a, a serious moment but um but I, I think it's like you can you can have a couple of those if you have too many of those then as long as they're like, followed by a laugh it's yeah, okay right, <laughs> yeah. yeah and i think kind of even if they are it's not like the characters aren't serious but if their reactions like there's the part where um jack yeah where he's just like what the fuck you know like and it's it, he's he's serious and he's scared and everything but it feels so real like what one of how one of us would react to the situation that there's some it's funny too, you know. That was one where we were just like, okay, go as, this is the moment where you can go as big as possible. Yeah, right. And, if, yeah. and he he, does, he always plays everything, like they both, we love them so much because they play everything very real, but we let him go, we were like- Bananas just, in that moment, yeah. Yeah, go huge. <laughs> yeah. It's one of our favorite moments. Well, I, I want to go back actually to Oren's uh, initial question of what came first, right? In terms of the development of the idea, right? You've got the, the genre mash, did you come at it from a point of sci-fi or from a point of a, like a rom-com relationship sort of movie? Well, in terms of the the logline, like that was really it. It was always uh, both things together, you know, um, the couple go off the grid. The, the logline is what Eleanor came up with first. Right. It was just like a silly idea <laughs> that I, I 
prior to this wasn't really making comedies. I was making serious, dramatic short films. And um, I had this sort of funny idea that I was like, I'm probably never going to make this. And and then I told Alex about it and he thought it was funny. And we were like just kind of riffing on it. And we're like, oh, this actually could maybe be kind of fun. Like maybe it would just be a fun experiment to write together. And then it just snowballed fortuitously <laughs> into what it is now but it, it was always ingrained it was yeah. always both was the, always the appeal was always doing both right right yeah. showing off the grid and during an alien invasion yeah i mean it's just kind of like letting your imagination go with like what would actually happen to us you know mm-hmm. like what how would we handle this and it's a thing that we i guess think about a lot just in life, it seems like the world is falling apart, and it's like, how are we going to handle this when there's earthquakes? When the shit really goes down. Oh, yeah, welcome um, to California. And, by the way. You know, yeah, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was a lot of uh, just imagining that stuff, and it, the comedy kind of came from that. Right. Yeah. Obviously, it resonates with what's going on today. But you've, I'm sure, we've all heard the stories of like the Big Brother cast that didn't know about COVID, or the person that was off in the woods for yeah. sixty days, and then. Jared back. Leto. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's weird that that stuff is happening. We got a lot of texts the day that Jared Leto came back and tweeted that he was at a meditation retreat. Yeah, I think someone even commented on the trailer. Uh, did they just copy Jared yeah. Leto's story? Yeah. And it's like, do you not know how <laughs> films work? <laughs> we obviously didn't make that happen like, in we, three months. Right, but did you copy his yeah. story? <laughs> yeah, we did. We thought it was such a good idea for a movie that we it happened and then we wrote it and then we went back in time to, to send it. <laughs> Yeah. To, to get it in time for Sunday. Yeah. Well, yeah. you can do that. Uh, yeah, it's pretty Part, cool. So yeah. one of the reasons I like the movie is because we talked about the genre mashing and it is very easy to make like a bad version of this movie. At the end of the day, it's two people in a house, which already sounds horrible. Yeah, we've all seen many versions <laughs> of that movie. There were some cool shots, guys. Really, congratulate You made a movie. Uh, <laughs> but somehow a movie that's largely based on two people. I know in the opening act, there's a lot more people and there's some voicemails and things but but primarily probably 95 percent of the time it's two people but there's never a moment that it feels small you know and there there's always this real kind of idea of scope and they're going all over new york and a lot of stuff is happening can you talk a little bit about whether that like when when you realized you're going to write the script and try to make this movie was that part of the plan to how do you make it feel big but keep it small? I mean, I guess that was always like a conversation that we were talking about as well. Like, I mean, truly, like you say, they're in 95% of the movie. They're actually in 100% of the movie. They're in but, yeah, every yeah. scene. I mean, and yeah. it was like a, you know, a thing that we always were like a little kind of nervous about. So like, how do we make this just not insufferable? You know, um, that just watching these people, one part of, a huge part of that is the casting, I think. Them you know, being so good. They are naturally really funny and charming um so we just knew that we had to nail that really and we're very particular about that it was another thing that was just throughout the whole process there was like a lot of dialogue we cut down dialogue in the script and then when we shot it we cut it down a little bit more mm-hmm. and when we cut with the movie we cut out more of it it's just like yeah. making them as as you know palatable as possible and then and then in the end it's good but for a while it's like oh there's a long time oh, that shit. it wasn't <laughs> yeah. when, when you say palatable do you mean that the characters were too quippy too sarcastic too negative all of it all that stuff too you you just you just refine like moments mm-hmm. and, and then and eventually it's correct i do think there's this tendency of like the first cut of a feature film especially like in 
It, this is an independent film, right? I mean, I know you have Keshe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some big companies yes. attached. But yeah. I think there is this tendency for the first cut to feel like it's the same scene over and over, right? Like there's kind of some redundancy or like pacing that feels the same. And a lot of times I, I think it has to do with like your temp music that you pick that you like fall in love with and just tr- try in every scene. And it takes like a lot of work in post to like squash and stretch things to make a movie feel dynamic. Totally. Yeah, we did. We did cut some scenes that were like um i mean there's this whole scene in the beginning where they lay out their plan and they're like okay no phones no laptops and when we you know kind of put it all together we're like you don't actually need to say this the point is is gotten you know so we we just took it out we put one thing back in the trailer actually oh that's right to make the trailer clear that 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 was really useful for the trailer actually yeah we use that there but um, that is a good tidbit you should every time you make a movie even if there's a scene that's very on the nose but it does describe the plot or the setup of the movie maybe just shoot it for the trailer yeah it's not a bad idea i mean there was a few things like that that we sort of learned along the way because the movie is um you know for all that it's kind of silliness or whatever it is rather plotty like there's you know every scene kind of something happens that leads to something else and um that was one thing in the edit that we noticed there was an early scene that we ended up cutting just because it was boring but it had a um an important what we thought was a really important piece of information in it that turned out to not be that important but one thing we thought like coming out of this was like if there's a important piece of information that you really care about you should put it in two scenes (laughs) just in case one of them sucks and needs to give us that advice no lucy's advice was about lucy's our script supervisor her advice was um because there were a few things where we just wanted to do you know, like a one or two page scene in one shot, um, like one wide shot or whatever. And her, her good advice was always like shoot a shorter version of it if you're going to do that as well. Because you're committed. Always what? Shoot a shorter version? Yeah, like yeah. do a version of the scene that's like half, half the dialogue. or less yeah. of the amount of dialogue because when you get to the edit, you don't know what the pacing is going to be like. Mm-hmm. We just shoot everything in 16K reframe. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, but what I love about that yeah. piece of advice though is the other version that you hear is like oh shoot an insert or like get a couple close-ups or whatever and then what ends up happening is that scene that is really beautiful and like would make sense as a oneer is kind of you know becomes really cutty because you're cutting around the dialogue that you realize you don't need in the first place but shooting the the short version of it still it preserves the the point that you were trying to make in a just a more of a concise way without like cutting to somebody's hands or something dumb you know exactly yeah i didn't even think about that but that is so much better advice that she said rather than saying yeah. like get a close get an insert frog yeah. it actually does make me think of one scene in your movie now that you said it and i wonder if it's this scene but it, it is it all plays that in one beautiful shot in my opinion of when jack is sitting at the computer and then and sue is on the phone telling everyone her plans of going off the grid and Jack, we more or less see his mouth the whole time, but Sue's kind of spinning around and talking. And it clearly you couldn't have recorded both of them saying all those things at the same time because they both have these fully formed conversations <laughs> right next to each other. We did, mm-hmm. actually. We did. I think that was what? just the audio from the day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? We did. Yeah. We they, did. Yeah. yeah. That was actually, um, they just, John, because basically the, the, the more important part of that dialogue is what Sue's saying that she's like sort of, you know, telling her boss that she can't come in next week. And so John was just like quite 
masterful with like inserting his like little bits just like in quiet moments and it kind of just worked we were concerned about that on the day actually that it was going to be yeah. a problem but it it turned out fine and we didn't have to adr any of that actually no so yeah it was a surprise he, sometimes things that you think are going to be the hardest things just end up working out they were masters at these little details about technical technical stuff, stuff yeah. about acting so like like modulating their voice to be louder or quieter in that scene john would say stuff quieter and fit mm. it into the gaps yeah. of Sunitha talking. And the other thing they did was they were like incredible at their own hands and their gestures mm. con- oh, continuity wise. Yeah. And that's another thing Lucy told us. She was just like, oh, they're really, they're really nailing it with the yeah. gestures. That's the result of them both being on series for a while. Like, is it just yeah, experience? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I mean, TV definitely hammers that kind of stuff into you, like just being aware of the camera and the like technical needs of a performance. I yeah. had a friend yeah. that uh, I consider him to be a really good actor. And we were shooting this video that I made, I mean, many years ago, a CPR training video. And there was like this little dramatic point. And he was just a guy in the classroom. And I noticed in one take, in uh, like a closer shot, he like kind of scratched his head a little bit and then kind of grabbed his pencil and tapped it, whatever. He did something really small. And I went to him and I was like, Joe, uh, I, I noticed you're doing this thing. Don't do too much random stuff. Cause if we want to cut from the wide shot to the close, it's not going to match. He's like, Oh no, I've been doing it. I was like, okay, really? Every take you've been kind of scratching your head. It just looked so natural, like an instinctual. And he's like, yeah, what I do is like in the first take or first or second take, I'll just kind of do whatever feels natural, whatever I would really do. And then if it seems like we're moving on, then I'll just do that same thing and I'll kind of clock when I'm doing it and everything. So he's kind of finding it in the scene, but then he's remembering it for the coverage, which I thought, oh, that's cool. He's keeping track of what takes are good based on your reaction to the, <laughs> <laughs> to the shot. Yeah, yeah. just, just from the transitions yeah. from like a wider shot to, you know, a tighter mm-hmm. shot. But They do so much for us, you know, the actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why, <laughs> and this is Matt and I both work primarily in commercials recently and it's sometimes it seems as if producers don't quite realize that the actors are like so important to making a good thing. And like you talk about these specifics, like when the actors are worried about that and you're not worried about it, you can worry about like the crooked picture in the background or the art direction or camera move or something else. So it's just amazing to work with like such great cast. Exactly. And in commercials you have like, <laughs> you just, there's no, they're like, they do it a couple times after you wait for eight hours, they do a couple takes. Yeah. Right. And you then get it right. and also there's this logic in commercials where like, you know what? We looked at the SAG numbers. It's just, just going to be too expensive. It's way cheaper to do it non-SAG. Who knew? Let's just use non-union actors. And you're like, well, I'm like, well, all right. We're you're, blowing all this money on everything else. Commercial is not going to be good, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Warren wins all of his jobs. Yeah. It's just like, uh, well, it'll be bad if you don't do this. Um, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, back to Save Yourselves, though. Uh, I'm curious about production a little bit, right? Because it all kind of, most of it, I should say, takes place upstate you know it feels like uh, it's a small cast you know it's an independent movie it feels like one of those movies that you watch and you're like oh i bet that was pretty fun to make tell us uh what did you feel like in retrospect what made it fun or maybe how could you uh, impart some advice to people who would love to have that sort of experience yeah we got very lucky with kind of everyone involved i think was the secret if there if that is a secret but i mean from the producers you know down to the pas like everyone was just really cool people um and i think for us it was like a you know having come from like short films and music videos and 
like very, very small crews, we kind of knew that going into our first feature, the ideal situation would be to keep it somewhat small. You know, like obviously when you're working for more days on end, you need more people to um, sort of sustain the the level of energy that what you need small, for that kind of thing. What what numbers wise? Um, what does that mean? To how crew size? Yeah, we had. Um, I think it was like on the biggest days, it was like thirty people. But like usually in, twenty. Yeah, it was like maybe just twenty two or something on the on the smaller cabin days. It was you know that was like that was pretty... one and one in a swing. Oh yeah, sure. Like if you're talking about yeah, yeah. Exactly. and then that like department own. heads, and then you're full yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, department heads, and just really, really good production team. Like I also mean, great that, locations, right? Just, you have this house that's like half windows, so you probably plan out what time of day to shoot what scene, and you have a lot of natural light. We would have liked to have done it in that manner, but it was mostly shot around the weather because it was raining so much. The forecast was rain every every single day, (laughs) and it would maybe rain Um, or not rain. And it was sort of like a problem for exteriors and interiors because of the sound. So we changed the schedule every single day. Like it was um, our poor AD was just like the night before each next shoot day, just like, I think like looking at the way it is right now, I think we can do this here and da, da, da. Um, and thankfully like the actors were really like very flexible on, on that. I mean, at um, least they're all available. Yeah, was, right. That's the, that's the thing about having two people. It's not like, Oh man, we got to call so-and-so, you know, like, totally. we locked them in. That was, yeah, that was thankful. I mean, really the weather was the, the only like really challenging part, but the, we just had such a, wonderful group of people who i don't know like everyone seemed to be like pretty invested in the script which was cool and everyone got along very well and especially like the actors and the crew together got along really well and i think just being in that kind of like one location even though you know we're in the woods and different things at times like we were all staying upstate together and we it had, sort of sets up this nice we were up in woodstock summer and camp vibes summer camp vibes for sure and mm-hmm. and we had like you know the camera team had a house and the art department team had like everybody had a house mm-hmm. and we were very yeah woodstock there aren't any hotels yeah like literally, yeah right? there was like one and there was there's one hotel yeah. that we put up like our day players like oh yeah yeah yeah. In, yeah for a couple of things so it's all but, airbnbs or, or whatever yeah but it oh. was really, yeah, it was just nice vibes. And, you know, I think a lot of that, like I was saying, is our line producer was really fantastic. Tatiana, Tatiana Bears. Bears. She's high recommend. I mean, just it's such a, I, I used to line produce and still do commercials sometimes. So I know the job and it's like so integral that the crew trust the line producer and um, and they not only trusted her, they love her. Yeah, right. <laughs> they, they like really respect and are friends and, right. and became friends if they didn't right. know her by then. So I think like her, she really set a great tone for us. And, you know, like we actively try to set a good tone on on set each day, even in amongst like, you know, of course, it's like stressful at times. But that's certainly something that like I always think about in every Well, can we project. dig into into that just a little bit like how you two so you're both directors in your own right you know and uh, i know you come from different backgrounds like tonally how did you guys work on set what was the split of decision making and how did that go we did everything together (laughs) (laughs) we did there was one day where we just had 
just such an insane page count and um and like special. sorry what's an insane page count? oh it was like oh. an eight it was an eight page day i think that also included can't say one of the special things. effects one thing that we can't talk about <laughs> and stunts and i mean it was just like what we i don't know and what it happened. was a big day it was a big day it was the emotional yeah. core it was the yeah. a moment in the movie there were two moments in the movie that were like real dramatic moments and mm-hmm. both of those happened on the same day right so that that day we'd like sort of did a divide and conquer approach where I, I sort of worked with the actors and Alex worked with Matt, the DP more. But aside from that, we basically tried to just both have a hand in everything. And so you both would talk to the actors at the same time. You both talk to the crew at the same time or. Yeah. I mean, I guess not always like usually... that regimented, like, you know, join at the hip, like shuffle towards them and speak at the same time. But we, um, but in terms of like, there was no structure to like, you only talk to this department yeah. you only talk to that department it was a lot more and kind of were you ever worried about contradicting one another i always do you guys remember the f- second season of project Greenlight? there was a it was a duo of directors and there's a great scene where like shia is like sitting in a car he's like you know 12 or however old he is in that movie and like there's a moment where the camera crew watches one director come over on one side of the car and say one thing and then that guy leaves and the other guy comes around and says the exact opposite and Shia just talks so much shit was, to the camera oh operator. Was that when Amy Smart uh, said yeah. like "fuck yeah, you" yeah. to the director or something? <laughs> yes, yes, it's that episode actually. Uh, uh. Classic, you guys. But, but you know, like that's the nightmare scenario of what uh, two uh, co-directing situations. Yeah, sure. Yes. The issue that like in the maybe in the first week of shooting that we realized we had to um, like figure out was. Uh, going to say the same thing to the, like the actors, both not realizing that one of us had already said the exact same thing. They're and like, we, we got it. Yeah, exactly. Like, so just not well, to do you annoy ever, them. Something I kind of think about when I I've co-directed a little bit, and there's there can be this thing where you're like, well, I kind of think we should do it like this, and the other person like, well, I kind of think, what if we do it a little differently? And then you're like, well, let's just get both versions. Honestly, like our biggest. Like, I mean, that would have, that was probably like a fear going into it. And, you know, Alex and I like live in fear all, at all times. And we, I think we did a lot of preparation to I, avoid that, you know, like. Um, did you rehearse? Sort of. Uh, oh. Uh, I rehearse yeah. how to direct the yeah, us, all yeah. the time. Um, well, yeah, you have like a little like John pillow. Yeah. <laughs> John, in this Don't scene. We're gonna, you know, yeah. Eleanor, when you talk to John in this scene, right? I'd like you to hit that, hit that one yeah. direction a little harder. Um, no, we. Well, you're pointing. You're pointing is a little weird. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. I, I thought the pointing. I thought that I wasn't a pointy director until we saw um, like photos from the set sure. and I was like god sure. damn it we're both pointing in Why different directions pointing so much <laughs> pointing Wait, what do you point directing I like don't cameras know. like put the camera here eyeline I have no like, idea you're walk over there. pointing there's some really funny pictures actually from like the location scout where every like photo that Alex and I are in we're just pointing at it's something. a different stuff yeah it's very funny um but no we yeah we tried to um we tried to just be very prepared and, and, you know, we're a couple, um, you know, at home you can't see, but we're sitting together in our home yes. right now. And um, right. so... There is a piece of plexiglass between yeah, us. Yeah, the safety, of course. Um, but yeah, so we, you know, there's a, a pretty blurry line between the end of the workday and the home life. So um, mm-hmm. we do... Can, can we talk about that a little bit? If not without getting too personal, but you're the first 
partnership that we've had of co-directors who are also together romantically, was that fraught in any way? Was that complicated or was it just perfect? It's the first time I co-directed at all, let alone with a partner. And for me, it was really, it's very nice to have like someone else just in the process with you from the beginning to, you know, now still, still in the process with you and kind of like who is as invested as you are. And in terms of it being, I don't know. I mean, I feel like the only, like Alex has better boundaries than I do for sure. And is the one who will be like, it's 10 p.m. Stop talking about the movie. Um, Not on the shoot, on the shoot. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. The shoot was just like constant, but. It it was like overwhelmingly an asset to have, to be, to be co-directing and then to be living together and all this stuff. Because we there's never enough time in a day we got so on the same page like between writing and and pitching the movie and talking about the movie and and working with the actors that we were like basically completely aligned on performance and shots mm-hmm. and things like that uh because we'd worked through everything in the script like uh, there's certain things that you take for granted and the other person's like i don't get this and you're like what are you talking about and then you have to like talk through it and by the time you finish a script that you think is decent you've talked through so much stuff yeah and I think I think also being a couple, there's like a base level, like comfort, you know, between us that like no one's going to get too offended if you say something like in a slightly wrong way or whatever, you know, like, or if yeah. you're like a little short about like the, you know, the way, I can't think of an example, but just like if I... Don't like, like the idea. If yeah. I like, we can just sort of like snap and move on very quickly, yeah. you know, and yeah. I think that just sort of like is right. a, a... Like you bonus. could say, we don't need that. Let's move on. We have And I don't have left. to worry about but Alex's if, feelings. Yeah. Yeah. If it's a DP that today's the first time you're working with right. them and they are suggesting something, you want to be polite. Right. Exactly. So that was a benefit. Yeah. I mean... I think it continues to be a benefit. It's, it's, it's going great. Yeah, it's going great so far. <laughs> we'll see. Talk yeah, I think directing Nothing is... prepares you for a quarantine, right? Like uh, like directing a movie right. together. <laughs> directing is kind of like lonely on set, as ridiculous as that sounds, because you want to do something and you have like 10 people telling you why you can't do it, you know? And so when you have someone else that's saying you know what, Let, let's just do it. We'll figure out, we'll get the time back. We'll cut this shot. Or even, hey, you know what, don't worry. This exactly. is important. That's exactly. mostly that's like what the it is. Essential thing. is. Is this worth fighting for? Or, or is should, this, we, let or should we let it go? Yeah. And that's most of the most of the conversations we're mm-hmm. having are like, how much does this matter? Yeah, because sometimes <laughs> you just get like wound up in a detail. Like myself specifically, I feel like I would get wound up in a detail. And then just having someone else to either be like, no, that that is important. We have that. It's, of course, it's essential or just to be like let's let it go there's there's so many benefits to co-directing and it it changes it changes the whole thing and i think you can't really even like quantify the just like how how helpful it is to have two people collaborating on a job that is fucking impossible (laughs) (laughs) can i ask you two questions related to that because there's really only one well there's a few drawbacks to co-directing but there's one like very incredibly obvious one which is I guess my first question, and you can tell me if you can't answer this, but were you paid to direct this movie? Yeah, oh, we, yeah we got yeah. some money. I mean, not a lot. And, you know, we're less deeply than, in debt now because it wasn't a, like essentially a living wage for, for than, a whole year. Yeah, it, but, was, it was but, less than we'd yeah. been paid for, for our pre, like freelance work paid a lot right. more. But but so as directors did, in the budget, are you you're splitting the one director line? Kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's how that's um, yeah, I guess that's kind of how it goes. I mean it, it didn't really matter because it was like we we were so involved in 
like the early stages of production and because I had like I said a line producing background like before we had anyone involved like I was making budgets just for my own sanity to just know like how roughly how much is this going to cost like what do we need and um and so I was very involved in that and so we knew you know there's a number and we didn't want to take any more than that number because we wanted it to go on to you know the screen and it's like if we get paid anymore that's just going to come out of somewhere else so and almost everybody very small got budget. paid the same rate uh oh for sure almost yeah. everybody got paid the same yeah, rate so like we got a, the same well i mean but we did we a lot more work pay, right we got a pro- we got a project fee that when, <laughs> we you, for when, when you like spread it out over how long we worked together yeah, but, but so now that you've made this movie as a directing team and let's say someone else says oh we loved save yourselves and we're doing an episode of you know black mirror meets mm-hmm. high, high maintenance yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're merging these two shows with a little bit of glow a little bit of search yeah. <laughs> um, watch it. and they want to hire you to direct they they ostensibly would, well, I guess. I think that show is called DGA Room minimums. 104. Yeah, right. So yeah, Room 104. The, <laughs> I think that is the, the cont- yeah, glow. Uh, like our, yeah. our, like, you know, a directing contract is, is like a one fee for both of us. So, yeah, in that way we're splitting it. But, like, you know, it's aside from Save Yourselves, which is a very, like, low-budget affair, you know, when you get beyond that and into, like, the real world of directing, it's a nice amount of money to be splitting. It's like not a problem. <laughs> and it seems like people take into account that there's two of you. Right. You don't get as much. You don't get twice as much as a right. single director, sure. which I think is fair. Totally. Because <laughs> you're not you doing could, the same in amount theory, of work. do two jobs at the same time by kind of trading off, right? Which I think is the advantage. Like there is there is a little bit less work if you have somebody else covering for you. Like for instance, and I wanted I wanted to talk about this anyway about the writing of the script, but I think Alex said something in the production notes that was incredibly offensive, which was that when you're co-writing a script with someone, you can take a nap and the script still gets written. That's right. <laughs> That's how we worked right. mostly. It's it's huge. <laughs> yeah. Uh- I mean that that's a funny anecdote that is true but it's um I mean the point being that like you do kind of lose steam when you're just working on a thing by yourself and it's nice to like have someone else kind of like moving the train forward like yeah. you know and the script gets written faster in that manner for sure. Mm-hmm. Can I yeah. I know we're kind of going in reverse order but I just want to only cuz I think Matt and I are both working on projects that have some similarities to your project so I'm curious personally when you, you know, Eleanor, you came from this short dramatic background. Alex, I think according to the production notes, you had never written a feature before. When you guys sat down, you had this log line, you had this concept, you had kind of a tone in your mind. Did you like break out, save the cat and like do the beats? Like here's act one, here's act two. How did you, what was the process of like coming up with the story? Because even though it, it's like super naturalistic and funny and relatable, there, like you said, it is plotty and there is kind of this structure that is it's got that felt. that hollywood entertainment value that keeps you know that's designed to like keep an audience engaged right like yeah, it's, it's plotty it moves you know so we wrote the script we outlined it in two or three days uh we wrote the first draft in about two weeks it was you know Ooh, why so why so fast just we just it, we went on a lightning struck we we were um well he says we outlined it in two or three days which is you know in true in terms of what we physically wrote down on two note cards but the like four or five months before that we had been talking about it so there's yeah there was a lot of that and like writing down notes in my cell phone and it's funny we we took ourselves on a little writing retreat to 
to write it, you know, free from distractions. And, um, but, you know, of course we had cell service and internet and everything. We're not crazy. We had a but, little uh, bit of Wi-Fi. But uh, we... Did you think about turning it off? No. No. <laughs> like, you're like, well, we're writing a movie. We're no, never. No. We, but we were, we were, we went to Portugal. We didn't have cell service. We had a little bit of Wi-Fi. We also didn't have, like... We got rid of our apartments in New York and we... Yeah. It's, we were um, nomads for nine months and part of that was two weeks. It was I know, not, it was, it was supposed not to be a couple months yeah. and then it just continued because we, we were both doing like different travel jobs um, and whatever. Like it just it just kept being like there was an, a travel job in the future and it's like, okay, well, why get, a, why get an apartment now and we can just keep writing this out? So we took ourselves to Portugal because Alex's mum's friend had a condo there that we could rent that was cheaper than New York rent like and way cheaper <laughs> way cheaper and I had like a bunch of uh, frequent flyer points saved up from we travel had jobs a, we had so done we a, had a, like a job together we don't have to get too much into this but we had but done a travel job together um, about urban parks for a yeah. non-profit and we had um, saved up a little bit of money no from it was points like we oh we, travel we points yeah, yeah. Like so we got free flights and stuff yeah so it sounds like we did this glamorous thing but it was not it was just like the cheapest it was option, awesome but it was, it was not great glamorous <laughs> um so we stayed in this little condo to write the script and um so two weeks but we but we wrote and we, so that was the t- amount of time we were in portugal so we knew we wanted to get a first draft out which was very bad but it was just like it was finished a first draft that was you know <laughs> and we got to the end yeah right. <laughs> it was just did you have an like an arbitrary number of scenes that you wanted to write no. like when you say you wrote on note cards was it like 50 note cards uh, like what's i still don't know how many scenes remember. it takes to make a movie like like yeah the Honestly, um, like we wrote out all the notes out of my phone being like, oh, we'll just put these on note cards and we'll fill in the gaps and it'll probably like amount to a movie. And we wrote out all the note cards and it was like 25 like stupid little scenes about relationships. And we're like, oh, fuck, this is not a movie. (laughs) Like we actually have to do some work here. It's just colors. It's It's just silly, silly little details. But the Um, first draft we wrote, it just came like... I'd say like we didn't look at we did look at Save the Cat. We didn't look at it though until we were months into it, maybe even like over a year or something. Right, it was when, more like just to check in to it, see how it was we were like doing. how do we do? And we did naturally I think this is pretty common, like pretty well. And uh we went through Save the Cat and then we ended up like we flipping flipped. two scenes right. in the third act and it and it fixed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it yeah. But I think I mean those I think those things are certainly very useful and we're, they're not we are open to like you know kind of using those types of like uh storytelling structures it was just i think when you're trying to get a first draft out it's maybe a little bit um more freeing to avoid that and then f- check back in and fix it afterwards if you need to but because it's just like do you yeah. think of milestones like this is where we kind of they go on the journey and then this big twist happens in the middle and then they they are trying to figure out how to get out of here at the end, like stuff like that. We really that. didn't in the first draft. I think now like that we've written that and we're like working on writing other things, we think more about in terms of act yeah. structure and what's the midpoint and, you know, these kinds of things. But um, but it, in Save Yourselves, we didn't. It just, it did kind of naturally lend itself to that type of structure, just given that it is kind of a, a plotty movie. Yeah. Kind of just well, yeah. Way. I mean, it, it. There's that obvious thing of like, well, the sci-fi element is it's real life, it's normal life, and then something happens to make it more sci-fi, right? A- aliens arrive, and then they figure out that aliens are here. So what do they do? 
and then that one thing doesn't work what's the next thing they do you know like it's it feels there's a logic to it, it, I guess, one right. of the things one of the one of the questions we had a lot uh, for a long time was um how long do we let them be oblivious mm-hmm. before we kick the movie into like into action and mm-hmm. And early on, we were like, well, we can't like the, the, the log line is that they're unaware of the plot of the movie. <laughs> so so like we're like, how long can we sit in that? And then figuring that out was important. Piece. Yeah. Right. Did you look at other films as reference points as well? Like because there's like that genre element, you know, like I kept thinking about Shaun of the Dead a little bit, you know, but there's a little Spielbergian feel to it, too. Like if you think of like just the hints that you're dropping before the characters know what's happening and stuff. Definitely. I mean, all of that stuff was an inspiration, I would say that um, in terms of the actual writing of the script, I don't know that we were like studying other movies. It was more like when we got into like shooting it and how do we want this to look that we started kind of like doing a little bit more homework on what we we're referencing the, yeah, there are certain like touchstones that movies do, and we were we were referred to a bunch of like uh, Attack the Block. People were like, "You got to watch Attack the Block." Yeah. So we watched that, and then um, there's right. Shaun of the Dead came up a bunch, and there's other movies that people say to watch. And uh, there's certain things in most movies that happen that are like these touchstones that you think about, and we sort of didn't do. We sort of didn't do or did the opposite or like did, we did like the they wouldn't figure it out version of it because in most movies like the main characters figuring stuff out is really exciting and interesting and we were just like let's not do that at all yeah <laughs> just miss that entirely yeah. right yeah yeah but you almost acknowledge it in the movie with your characters saying like if these are real aliens they're not going to be thinking the way the aliens in movies think exactly right. yeah. we just wanted to have fun with this idea of like this once they know what's going on with the alien invasion it's like three days and it's like how would anyone like like planet earth is not going to fix this problem in three days you know we got no shot yeah well i'm curious about the look i thought it was beautifully photographed did you have rules for the aesthetics that you set for yourself to kind of guide you especially when you had to kind of adjust for weather and whatnot yeah um it's funny that you mentioned albert brooks yeah albert brooks was james brooks james brooks and albert brooks were big references and then that like classic comedy look where things feel really real and uh, a little sentimental and um a little i don't know artful is the right like we were trying Mm -hmm. to we weren't just there was an option to shoot this movie with like two handheld cameras let them go Mm -hmm. a little free and uh and follow the comedy but we were we were just like no we want to shoot we want to shoot these like nice frames and let stuff play out let them like leave the frame and come back in like that we had a lot of rules for stuff and then and then it kind of changed like we did start doing some more spielbergy stuff about halfway through when they're learning about things and we wanted to play up the mystery of things so the camera changes to do mm-hmm. that can you give us an example of a Spielbergy thing? Oh yeah, yeah. I think this is our like one big Spielberg moment that we consider to be our Spielberg. Yeah. But when she, um, when Sue like discovers the hole in the sourdough starter and in the um, whiskey bottle, and they both kind of like lean in and look at the the bottles, and then you see, you know, like, yeah, it's like a is it a low dolly push? It, you, it's a, it, it's a. In my memory, it is, but we did not. It's a, it's on, it's on sticks. But, but it's a slight, it's a zoom. But the, zoom but from lo- the Raiders of the Lost dark when he switches out the the thingy the gold thingy like we were doing that shot but just less right. expensive yeah right yeah and, <laughs> and no space it's the, the same camera, camera angle but not the same like it, mm-hmm. that one had the dolly move and, yeah yeah that, that kind of thing and we, we like just that. but i mean all of the references were really like you know 90s and prior <laughs> that yeah. we were going for because we we liked the idea of making 
something feel kind of like slightly nostalgic and and just in like a feeling like not too like throwbacky obvious right. like but just kind of have that like comfort of of nostalgia around it both in the rom-com setting and the sci-fi yeah, when you're making a movie about technology in modern days and like literally browser tabs and whatnot it seems like you could offset that with like a more classic visual storytelling yeah. that was the idea we didn't want to show any phone screens and we didn't do like you know motion graphics or, or yeah. of the text and stuff like that which all could have been like this movie could have done all those things but we mm-hmm. just didn't want to yeah that's a really great point yeah like it still feels tactile right right yeah that's the idea and that's why the poof was a real a real poof the alien was a real, a real, was is a real that poof. an ikea poof or is that more a cb2 type of <laughs> yeah i've been looking for one. inspired by all those things but we physically made that poof yeah eleanor yeah. Handmade. Oh, wow. handmade. Like, is that human hair? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, my, it's my it's hair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, it is that. So there are a few scenes where you do handheld. What was your rule oh, for yeah. like yes. when to go handheld? That was really fun, actually. Like we, because uh, that our DP Matt is very good at that type of stuff of like sort of just following the action in this crazy way. And I think like actually my favorite shot in the scene is in the whole movie is when the scene where um. They pulled the the truck that they find uh, up to the house and like they get out of the car and he sort of like follows Jack and then follows Sue and then like followed back to Jack and you see his reaction and it's like just so beautifully following yeah. them and also our um, first AC was like just so precise. I can't believe how well he like managed all of yeah, that. Yeah, I love. It. I I remember that shot. It does have that like Edgar Wright precision of like you just happen to be looking at the right place at the right time. And because it's handheld, it feels even more like accidentally perfect, you know? So, And there is that thing of like, you know how technically hard it is. So it feels, it feels good. It's like something that the audience doesn't really forget how technically hard handheld action is. Like chaos, I mean, stuff yeah, like that. it's so crazy. Cause it does just look like you were just like winging it, but I mean, there's like four so people precise. trying to make sure that's good. What camera did you guys shoot on? Uh, it was an Alexa mini with, um, Primo, yeah, Panavision lists. Panavision, not anamorphics. No, no. Uh, yeah. Panavision, like mostly, most of it's on zooms. Actually, um, not that shot, but yeah, most of it's on zooms. Yeah, right. That one. There was a yeah when when his handheld was too heavy to have but, the big zooms on. But the idea was like, we, if we establish this like classic look where we're on we're on sticks the whole time, then by the time things get crazy, you know, you feel it because you're handheld mm-hmm. and did you carry a dolly with you the whole time no well, we, we had a dolly location, we had a so it was just dolly, it was just right? in the truck a right. lot and we used it a couple times but we never took it into the woods or anything we used it a no. couple of times at the cabin and we it cut, didn't a, fit we cut the... it out of the movie a couple, in the edit there were a couple oh, dolly yeah, shots right. that we cut out <laughs> yeah i know poor matt. <laughs> matt yeah matt was really excited it didn't about fit it. in the apartment in brooklyn so like you know of course like it's so small well but... i'm getting it up the stairs yeah um, exactly you think of it in a one-day shoot, a dolly is kind of like a pain. You got to pick it up. It's heavy. You need a truck for it. It's kind of you know, a little expensive. But on a feature, it's actually pretty inexpensive to just carry the Fisher dolly with you the whole time and just even use it as the tripod. Yeah, exactly. But, um, we use yeah. the slider But a not lot. if you're in crazy locations like the Right. Works. We, yeah, I feel like we use, we use the slider, the slider more than the dolly. And just really like it, the look was more more zooms than it was dolly i guess like in terms of like when we're having that type of 
uh, you know, forward motion. Yeah, we did a lot of zooms. Those are fun. The the slider is great because you can be, you can have a lot, it feel locked off, but then you're not just like stuck if the actors move an inch the wrong way and then you Mm -hmm. can just like easily shift and then the shot's good again. Right. Well, I guess my big question is, and I didn't know this until this interview, but you live in LA now. This is a very New York movie. It's a very, you know, kind of Brooklynite type of movie. In upstate, why did you come to LA? Does this have to do with like an advancement of your career opportunities? Like what, I guess we have a lot of filmmakers that listen to the podcast that are mulling over the idea of moving to LA. Um, a lot of them have, have not had a winning feature out of Sundance or anything. But yeah, there, there's, we are constantly asked the question, should I move to LA or not? And we almost always say yes, but those people aren't asking us from New York. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, right. We moved here actually before we shot the movie. Right before. Um, which was stupid. We wrote. Because then we just went back to New York for a whole year. Yeah. So we both did the shoot and post in, in New York. We, well, the, why did we move here? I don't really, We like we said, we, we didn't have a home for nine months. We moved out of our apartments and put everything in storage. And then we were considering getting an apartment again in New York and Alex sort of wanted to live in LA and I was like, I don't know. Eleanor did not want I was to move. I a big uh, New York snob and I was like, I'm not going to like it. You have to drive everybody. Blah, blah, blah. And then we came here in January mm-hmm. of, the, was it of the 2017. Yeah, I don't know when it was, but it, in, it was January and it was like 72 degrees and yeah. so beautiful. And we were staying at our friend's house who like, I had neighbors that were selling Girl Scout cookies and it was just, and they have an orange tree and it was just so you nice. You went to a barbecue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, In we January. To, we to you want, you want a portobello? Lagunitas. <laughs> <laughs> You're vegan, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it was honestly like kind of like a lifestyle thing. And, and yeah. it was more just like we, I was burnt out from not having a, at home because we were in nomads for nine months and you know like seasons changed in that time we had to go back into the storage unit and dig out our snow boots and it was just a a sort of pain in the ass and we were just here and i started looking at apartments on craigslist (laughs) and we found one and we were like should we do it all right let's do it and then we just did it this apartment that we're in now is cheaper and bigger than anything that exists in new york yeah new york is just a real I do always warn New it's Yorkers when they move. Ten thousand dollars a week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, right. yeah. one and a half bedrooms. Yeah, but you you do have to be careful to not get the first place you look at because you're like, oh my god, this place is incredible! What a steal! You get it before someone figures it yeah. out. <laughs> you realize, like, oh, that's that's kind it's of like all apartments. Everyone are in our building a little bit basically yeah. moved here from New York. Yeah. I think it's quite. If funny. you if you move to LA from New York, you're saving money, and if you yeah. move to LA from anywhere else, you're it's insane, insanely overpriced. <laughs> yeah. Right, but when you were in New York, were you did you have reps, agents, managers, clients? That, I mean, I know you, you guys do a lot of mm-hmm. or commercial work and su- branded support stuff, right? system Music of videos. crews, right? Like I imagine the team all is, of that. You know, we had yeah, yeah more more of, network and. New York for sure and just like our like Alex um is, a, is an editor and like so he would edit a lot of music videos and commercials and I was like working on commercials and branded content and like for the first year that we lived here I moved I, I went back a lot to New York for work because yeah. I didn't have a network here yeah which was whatever you know you come to LA and there's like a hundred great editors that do exactly the same thing. And I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. And, and know everybody. Yeah, they yeah, already have great connections. Yeah. You know, yeah. there are, they're easy to, like, they're all, like, I think, like, oh, I'm easy to work with. Everyone's easy to work with. Like, I think it's different now, obviously, because you can just Zoom 
meetings, but it was like it was helpful with the movie and getting the movie made and financed to it, be here and like be able to take meetings here. It felt like it felt like a leg up to be from LA. So when right. we went back to New York for meetings, it felt I don't know. It's like it's such a funny game, it's smoke and mirrors <laughs> game. Really, Matt said that yesterday, and I didn't actually believe him. I I believe that if you're anywhere else in the country, and they're like, "Oh, this is an LA director," it means something. But in New York, <laughs> I always think that's like an insult. Well, it was beneficial. I mean, so we had some meetings here, and actually, our the cashier who did, you know, were the first financiers in. We met them in LA, even though they are New York based, but whatever. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like one of those things. Like when we went back to New York to meet with um, production companies. It was like they're just here for a week because yeah. they're from LA. You have to meet them, yeah. you know. Like, and we, I think we got in the door like for a couple of places that we didn't end up working with, but like, you know, all of those meetings are important in one way or another. The big thing I think between New York and LA is New York has an incredible indie film scene and just like hustle. Like yeah. it's just and, it, and it'll just wear you down. We were there for ten years, and uh, when you're pitching stuff to do, they'll say cool, can you shoot a web series of this for free first? Or or we'll mm. give you two grand to shoot this video. And you come to LA and those those opportunities, I think, are less common. And it's more like we'll give you a proper budget to do this, but mm-hmm. most of the time they're not even going to talk to you. So it's right. like... But you have to fight against a thousand people yeah, that are really, exactly. really talented and also have two features. Exactly. That's yeah, and right. New, York, New York has like the great... I think like a really wonderful comedy scene, like the just like the art. The art feels a little more important to people there. I mean, we were both there for ten years, and I think it was like essential yeah. to like you know who we and who we have ended up as as filmmakers. Suni- and like we met Sunitha. Like well, I'll met Sunitha. All, college, all these people but... in the in the comedy scene, all these people that showed up in the movie, like Joe Firestone and John Early, like everybody came up in New York. Just and being... both are like incredible and like. Barely, in the I know. Well, like right? one line, like grossly I, underused. I saw Joe Firestone's name. I was like, "Oh, I love her. She's so great." I think she literally has one line. That's, right? that's yes. the thing. That's the thing that <laughs> yes, we would like does. to press upon people is even though Joe Firestone, John Early, and Amy Sedaris are in the credits, like you're not going to see Amy and Sedaris. Ben Sinclair too. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. at least like he, has he at least has like least, a yeah. cam- like what you might call a cameo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the other ones are just like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have one selfish question actually that that brings us all the way back around, and it has something to do with cast a little bit as well. I am a little curious about how financing came together, right? Because this is a really, this is the sort of movie that I think we all grow up thinking like we want to make and people aren't making as much of anymore. You know what I mean? Right? Like it's not based on IP. It's got like a a, a cast that's stellar, but they're not quote unquote movie stars the way Brad Pitt is a movie star or something, right? Right. They're recognizable, so, but not by name. Probably. Yeah. I mean, it was a challenge for sure getting it financed it, because mm-hmm. we had never made a feature before. And so mm-hmm. like, that's like the first thing is like trying to convince people that you know what you're doing and you know, you're a worthwhile investment. Did the, you make a tone reel or like show your previous we, work separately? Uh, no, we made a deck we made, that I think yeah. was pretty good. Um, yeah. That just was like worthwhile. a PDF with images and a, yeah. a plot summary and what the comps are. And, and did like you that. have cast already? Were you, did so you go personally out to people? Yeah. Or? Yeah. So Sunitha, um, we kind of wrote, the script for with her in mind i mean she didn't know about it at the time yeah, but we, we did didn't tell her. and um you know we sort of wanted to wait till we had it kind of good before we shared it with her and told her that we were thinking of her for it but um so we did share it with her before we went out anywhere and then we 
we didn't really have any ideas for um, Jack until we someone suggested that we watch Search Party and we saw John and just thought he was like absolutely perfect and we couldn't get him. We just couldn't think of anyone else that we wanted and as then, much as and, him. And then as far as we were concerned, they were locked. Yeah. So, but it well, took us a while well, to, sort of funny. to I mean, realize that and communicate that. Because people, you know, like tell you like, okay, you're going to go into this meeting with these investors. Just be open. And we're like, oh, sure, sure. Yeah, we're open. Yeah. And so we'd say like, this is who we're thinking about. And they'd be like, oh, great. Yeah, I love Turin. We'd love to get this to Channing. Or whatever. Yeah, we'd love to get this to Channing Tatum. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it was just this sort of like silly thing of like, we there was actually a company who did want to make it if we were willing to to recast you know like and, and they were wonderful and they were really smart <laughs> producers who um gave us you know like really thoughtful script notes and like everything else was like really positive i, I want to touch upon that yeah. real quickly actually because i think that's really fascinating because you you hear the stories of like oh studio notes they want to do this and that or whatever and you imagine villains you imagine people who don't love movies who aren't smart they like came up loving movies they're tr they're trying to give you the best advice based off of all of their experience and they're they're looking out for you right and also in this circumstance recommending the wrong thing for your movie yeah so they're looking weird. at foreign sales numbers exactly foreign sales i mean that is that is honestly it all and about it's, that and and it's a thing that we struggled with of course because we were like well we want to make this movie and you know there was like a couple days where like we had kept sort of going back and forth with them on like um you know like they would suggest other cast ideas and we'd sort of like ho-hum about it and then you know and we did we did do like a round of script notes with them that were yeah. great notes and like they're really smart intelligent people and, and and then it just got to the point where it was just kind of like they didn't want to budge on the casting and then we realized we didn't, we want, didn't to want to budge either and it was just kind of like and we walked away it was too it with, was no sound, with no other options <laughs> and and you had no money at this we had no money no like money starter no. oh no twenty thousand nothing, nothing. No. yeah Zero. so we just we were just like i we don't we can't see a way forward with this movie without these two the actors. only way it was going to actually be good was with them that's that was the, and we're like why would we struggle. make it if it's with and also because we be. had already like gotten them excited about it you know yeah. we'd met john at that point and he was really excited about working with sunitha and it just seemed like this perfect special thing that you know like over time we realized we were just not flexible about yeah. and so we were like okay we'd rather not make this movie than make it with other people and so that was like the this the summer before we ended up shooting and then a couple months later alex's agent introduced us to um Keshet, and they also passed in yeah. our first meeting based on Florence. Which is a great it's a great story. We talk, and it, Adi is totally fine with us talking about yeah. this, I think. We met Adi, who is now a, a dear friend and our, and our producer, and she met us kind of cold and she like a like we didn't, and she didn't I don't know think she knew who we were or anything. Or whatever, like she, yeah. she just, I think usually the first time you meet an Israeli it's pretty yeah, <laughs> totally. She was like, just tell me about the project. Uh and we told her about the project and she she listed like a bunch of reasons why they could not do it. Like, just like, we can't do it. There's a yeah, cast, whatever. foreign sales, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's not genre enough. Or, or I don't even know if she said that, but that was something we heard from many from many other companies. Right, other people wanted to turn it into a horror film because that would be more sellable or whatever. Kill yeah. some more people, maybe a exactly. flying saucer or two. Yeah. yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then we, and then they, and then three months later or six no, months later. No, 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 later, you're missing an important detail. In the, in the meeting, <laughs> Alex, this like, isn't by good this, advice. no, it's not good advice, but it's funny. But Alex, by this point, had just kind of gotten like a 
little bit like agitated by the whole like financing meeting things. And I was still like, be very nice to these people. You never know. But Alex like in the meeting was just like, but what if it's a good script? And I was like, Alex, I was so mad about the metrics. She's being very generous telling us like these nice things. Had she read the script? uh, I don't think she had. No. no. So (laughs) anyway, like a couple months go by and then a emailed us and was like, I can't stop thinking about it. And now when she tells this story to people, she always like mentions like, and then Alex said, but what if it's a good script? And I was just, I couldn't get that out of my head. And I just was like, you know what? He's right. And I was like, God damn it. Not good advice. <laughs> but this arrogance like actually paid off okay, in that moment. Write that down. Yeah. Say that in a minute. What say, if it's a good script? Say my script is good. Yeah. <laughs> it always works. I think there is something to being willing to say this is what my movie is like if you don't want to be a part of it that's okay you've already walked away before right the the worst thing is that you don't have the movie at the end you don't have it right now right so i that i think it, there is something to take away from that that's uh maybe a little hard to swallow sometimes but really yeah i mean we we realize like just you know looking back on the how it all played out and that it did work out it was like obviously a very good decision in the end to stick with John and Sunitha and 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 stick with what how we wanted to make the movie and I I think that's like as you're when you're making your first movie it's so important to do it the way you want to do it because it's your first opportunity to sort of like say to the world like this is what i like and this is like what's going to be good about what what we can do and if you if you're compromising already on your first movie then i don't know sort of setting it up for for things to i don't know i go back and forth because you could also just knock something that's not totally you out of the park and then progress like like any number of people have done the thing is like if you i don't know it, it seems like it the only thing worse than like trying to get your movie made is like getting your movie made and having it be a fucking disaster. Yeah. Cause like you don't like it or it's, the actor isn't, isn't what you thought or like, yeah. it's just like, that is a true nightmare. And like not having a movie and, and grinding it out doing freelance work is, is still like a totally fine. I've told this story before on the podcast, but I made this feature and it's a, a, a biopic. It's about a wrestler that's deaf based on this true story. And it's kind of like a, kind of like Rudy meets Ray. It's like a sports film about someone with a disability and it did well. I mean, it, Played theatrically, premiered in AFI, got good reviews, won awards and things. But then after that, I, you know, and I got repped and everything. And I really wanted to make like my favorite movie was at the time of all of all time was like Fight Club. And I wanted to make a movie like that. And everyone I met with was like, you made this that like if you want to do a sports family film, we can talk about it. But if you want to make Fight Club, go make Fight Club and show us that you can make Fight Club and then we'll get you next. So I do think kind of to Eleanor's point, like you're movie if you wanted it to be any sort of currency for your next job it needs to be similar to what you want your next job to be you know even if you blow it out of the park mm. um, which is it what is we're fighting against silly. right now yeah. <laughs> i guess it is a silly thing but it is like but yeah so true oh no i mean i just mean it in terms of um we have like it's some some fun things you know lined up that we can't talk specifics on but like the um you know the things that we do get sent are like it's like it's phone like, stuff. It's phone <laughs> stuff or it's like there's a couple and it's in space or, you know, like and it, it's funny to us, like the 
the narrow-mindedness of like of Hollywood. It's at times. Well, I mean, yeah. look. To be fair, as I said, we are working on other projects with other um, companies that are very exciting to us, and that does not fall into this category. But it's funny because it's like I, we don't. We just did that. We don't want to do couple couple yeah. sci-fi like comedy again. It's a body swap sci-fi. Comedy. <laughs> yeah, a millennial yeah. Brooklyn right, couple. Yeah, slam dunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, so obviously COVID, I'm sure affected everything but you did premiere at Sundance this year pre-COVID what's and you said you have some other projects lined up but what you win Sundance your first feature or you you did you sell out of Sundance yeah sort of yeah, yeah. but yeah, like a, two weeks later or something oh yeah yeah but we were talking to them I mean yeah we were talking to them so you make a Sundance. splash for sure <laughs> yeah. Sundance and then what's are you still editing and line producing are you we got back in time right we had gotten how do you guys yeah, make money we were coming off the movie we were incredibly broke uh so we got back into like i edited i was editing i did one shoot yeah uh, before one, COVID. february we worked in february and then lockdown happened yeah, yeah. Jan- sundance is in january we worked in february and then um thank god we worked in february yeah. honestly because like now you know my my backup job isn't isn't a job can't do either job, anymore so right now. So we were living off of um, um, COVID cash. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I mean it was kind of it was uh, obviously very weird timing for to be trying to release a movie during this time. But yeah. also, you know, as I'm sure you guys know, it's a nice time to be writing, like sure. you know. And so also, you kind of there's like, a lot of sourdough in your movie. <laughs> that did, was I, such a weird thing. It must have been a treat, right? To be like, hey, this kind of cultural moment does line up with a kind of a plot point in your movie. Right? It's probably the opposite, right? Every time you see sourdough mentioned, you're like, this is diluting the value. <laughs> yeah. Other way around. We're, yeah. There's a couple of things we were worried about people getting. And one was like, he says, my starter, my sourdough starter. Yeah, it's like, like, is anyone I didn't know even what know that what that is. was two years ago. Yeah. So now, thank God, people know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I learned about that, that there's a tie into ethanol, a sourdough yes. starter, which I didn't know yeah. before the movie. Yeah. A lot of good, small, small a lot of good science stuff in the. <laughs> yeah. Well, so now... What's uh, like if people want to find out more about you guys? Do you are you now a team officially? Like, do you have like an EA sports yeah. type of <laughs> Instagram channel or anything? No. no, we have a desire to continue to work together and also do our own things. Still, Eleanor's yeah. got um, some movies she's gonna she's writing on her own, directing projects. I've almost always co-direct. So, like I said, I made a movie with my friend Rachel. We're working on another movie. Well, awesome. Well, are you guys down to join us for an unpaid endorsement? Please. Oh yeah, go for it. Unpaid endorsements. So I'm gonna endorse two things. One, because we have a, a couple on the podcast. It just reminded me. Have you guys heard Team Deacons? Yes, we listened to that. It's yeah. so good. So I did not realize at all that Roger Deakins and his wife were a like a cinematography team. I always, you know, Roger Deakins kind of gets all the credit. He's nominated for the Oscar and everything. But the DP that I worked with was telling me about the podcast. And I said, oh, so is it Roger Deakins interviewing people? And so he told me, well, no, Roger's wife usually is kind of hosting the podcast and Roger kind of just adds in color and stuff and some stories. And I was like, oh, that that's interesting. That does she Is she also into cinematography? And he's told me that she travels with him and like she she kind of like heads the cinematography she's like the cinematography producer of sorts on set so if any department's like what camera is she on what lenses or what shot are we doing on this day they'll ask her and she'll tell them the answer and if it's something they need to talk to roger about then she will connect them but she goes on all the scouts she goes to all the meetings she- does she wear the same outfit every day as well 
That's the real question. Because Roger uh, Deakin, he has a, he wears the same thing. It's like a, I think it's a denim that off shirt. Mark or Zuckerberg, though. Yeah, yeah, that's go. what actually Connor um, does too. My, the uh, DP from Snowy Bing Bongs, she wears a jumpsuit, the same jumpsuit, and she's like, then I don't the have to think jumpsuit. about it. Great idea. Oh, that's yeah. cool. But yeah, so it's it's just kind of a delightful the idea that even a cinematographer who's kind of largely known on their own can be part of this husband and wife team that is running the show together. And I assume when you're the cinematographer on 1917 or Blade Runner or something like that, it doesn't hurt to have another person on your team uh, managing basically these gigantic productions, you know, these hundreds of millions of dollars. So it's fun checking out Team Deacons. And then um, my other endorsement is kind of silly, but there's this place in Hollywood, Freestyle Photo. Do you guys know that place? It's on Sunset Boulevard. It's kind of like one of the last places you can like get super eight developed or whatever yeah Yeah. developed and printed but they also have like expendables which you know like a if you're doing kind of diy stuff at home or if you happen to be married to an actor that gets uh, auditions a lot on tape two things i get from there is bounce boards for like five bucks you get like amazing foam core you know and it's in hollywood a lot of the other film supply places are not in hollywood um, like Studio Depot and stuff or in the Valley. So if you just need a bounce board real quick, it's a great place to go. And then I also, you guys can't see from this angle, but I have like a, a backdrop that I think I might have talked about before. But if you go to this place, they have, there's this company Savage and you can get, pretty much have every single color at Film Supply and you can get like an 86 inch roll. And Matt's looking at me like I'm an idiot because I've said this exact endorsement probably like two and a half years ago. <laughs> but uh, but I, we like just six got... six months ago, guys. It's six months tops. We just got blue... <laughs> Which uh, we got gray originally, which was like kind of a mistake. And I do, you know, every casting office in the world has like a blue wall. And it's because, it you know, human skin, ah. that whole blue orange thing, uh, right? We have a blue stainless um, roll in our closet, I think. Yeah. From a shoot. We have a lot of gear. Good to know. Maybe we should put it behind us for Zoom calls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so for Zoom calls, you can change the background. Yeah. It's like a blue screen. Ah, exactly. Yeah. There you go. That's all I got. Okay, Eleanor, Alex, who wants to go first? My endorsement is short. I was going to endorse composting. Uh, <laughs> heck yeah. LA Compost. Uh, we've been going to LA Compost to drop off our compost, and it's cool. They send you an email telling you like your impact. There's still a little New Yorker left in you. Yes, yeah. I used to drop it off at and, the farmer's uh, market. And uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, silly thing, but it's so easy. Just keep your scraps in your freezer and then drop it off okay. at the farmer's market or at the place in Elysian, or I'm sure at whatever city you live in, you can figure it out. But it's just a little thing you can do, and it feels great. There are a lot of lines in Save Yourselves that are funny, but they are true to our real life. So when Jack in the first scene is like, one of the biggest problems right now is food <laughs> wastage. <laughs> it's funny in the movie because it's such a dope. But that's that's true. <laughs> and we, are, sure, yeah. we uh, are worried about that. So um, LA Compost is great. And they're trying to get so, much, so many people doing it that they can get like become can part a... of the local government. And, mm-hmm. you know, oh, that'd be great. Would be yeah. nice. What's your Wait, so you take your food scraps mm-hmm. like old lettuce or something or like orange oh, peel? All, yes, of it. all yeah. that stuff. It, all that stuff. The, they just make dirt out of it and with you worms. Put them in your freezer. Eggshells, bro, coffee grinds. Coffee grinds. Anything that's kind of stinky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I keep it yeah. in the we keep it in the freezer so that it doesn't stink up the kitchen. It, yeah. And then you just take it frozen. It, it takes up half. And then do they pay you for it or anything? No, you, you don't, pay no. them. What do you get you from it? Pay them yet. We well, you donate a buck or two. You don't have to, but you can. 
because it's for a good cause. But uh, they do give you free like little starter plants sometimes, like little mini lettuce or a little mini yeah, oregano. They'll, they'll give you something. free stuff. Alex, what's your mine? Um, Joe Perra's show, Joe Perra Talks with You, is the best show on television, and <laughs> and uh, it's one of the best examples of stand up turned into a show like after Seinfeld. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's, it's or maybe. Everybody loves Raymond. It's incredible. It's also on HBO Max now. Exactly. Thank you for saying. Uh, really? Because for a while you had to watch it. Old episodes? Both seasons are or on there. Or is it still being made? They did. Just, there's two seasons, two seasons yeah. that they've made, um, and they're going to, I believe, they're going to shoot. I, I don't think it's stopped. Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't heard that it stopped. It's just a wonderful show. <laughs> I think everyone I, should I love that it. show very, very much as well. And Joe Firestone, just to bring it all back, Joe Firestone's character is a prepper in that show. And I was watching it right before COVID broke out. And between that and the job almost getting canceled because of COVID, I was like, oh, this is real. And I went out and bought a bunch of Did stuff. Did you buy a gun? Did you buy a gun? <laughs> I, no, no, no. I, I, when I say stuff, I mean Can, like a food. lot of pasta yeah. sauce. Pasta sauce <laughs> yeah, yeah. But dude, the gun scene in their movie, Matt. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's good. The oh, gun thanks. debate. Yeah, that's, that's the one that I really the statistics most. Yeah. moment yeah. of Matt yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. I would be like, I don't. I'm not going to use I mean, just all, every sure. day that we had the gun on set, I was like, so I just, I didn't like it at all. Yeah. Like, like we, you know, you do these like safety meetings or whatever. And Nicole, our property master would be like, now would anyone like to inspect the gun? And I'd be like, yes, thank you very much. I would like to inspect that Nobody, gun. And I had no idea what I was looking for. And I just look cares. at it and be like, it's like a magic very good. Show. That appears to be. And we had already <laughs> inspected the gun weeks ago yeah. when we picked the gun. We knew it was not real. Yeah. <laughs> Really but funny. it just like just even having a fake gun on set makes me so nervous. I hate guns. Yeah. <laughs> and Joe Firestone open carries a gun, and it's really it's funny, so funny in Joe Parrish show. She it's, it's just, just like so not tiny. acknowledged at all. She just like opens her like her button down, which is and then you see a open carry like a pistol, and it's so funny. <laughs> Matt, can you beat all four of these? My endorsement. I've got one that I think is thematically on point. It's a YouTube video essay. Uh, from the Royal Ocean Film Society, which is, you know, like your lessons from the screenplay or every frame of painting, you know, like kind of there's that whole crop of like YouTube video essays from, you know, precocious film students. Um, this one's really great. And it's called uh, How Peter Jackson Made a Splatter Masterpiece. And it's about the making of Bad Taste. That's really great. And I didn't realize Bad Taste is Peter Jackson's first movie. He dropped out of high school, started working in like a, a like a film development you know, uh, house. I can't remember what they call it. It's not even that he's literally developing photographs. It's like it was back in the day when you needed to like deal with like basically like photocopies before photocopies were a real thing. There, there wasn't really like a huge uh, like film, uh, film scene in New Zealand at the time. And he made this movie uh, on weekends with the money he made on his day job for three years. It started as a short and slowly evolved into a feature film that launched his career. And then he made a bunch of Lord of the Rings movies and stuff. But it's super gory. It's super gross. Really funny. And like very DIY. Like there's like footage of him showing how he will do like a bit where someone puts a machete in somebody's head. And he shows the, the literal cardboard machete with like tubing for blood that he has in his garage. So it's it's very charming. It's nice and short, uh, but it's called uh, How Peter Jackson Made a Splatter Masterpiece by the Royal Ocean Film Society. Pretty sure that's called a splatter piece. <laughs> well, splaster piece. That's what the comment section is for, Oren. Uh, 
Um, well, you can you can meet me there at the conference. I really appreciate <laughs> the people who make film mm-hmm. essays on YouTube. I think that they're doing God's work. <laughs> we yeah, yeah. Really good uh, what that, a yeah. what a great way to procrastinate. Mm-hmm. Right? Keep our oh, keep yeah. our craft alive. <laughs> well, Alex and Eleanor, this was so wonderful. The movie is Save Yourselves. I think it'll be out on BOD by the time this episode drops. If not, um, keep an eye out for it soon. We'll set it up in the intro. But uh, you can check out the trailer at the very least and links to the movie in the description at justshootitpod.com if you want to learn more about the things that we talked about. Do you guys have Twitter handles or anything? People follow Sunitha uh, and John. Yeah, follow us. Money and John P. Reynolds. Yeah. Right. And uh, and uh, Save Yourselves movie. Well, like I said, you can check out all the stuff we talked about at justshootitpod.com. We are on social media at justshootitpod, and I'm at Mr. Matt Enlow. I'm at O. Kaplan on Instagram. I'm at Smitey Pileg on Twitter. And if you want to ask us any questions, you can email us at justshootitpod at gmail.com. This episode was edited by Sarah Weirda. Our social media manager is Derek Aiello. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. And the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks. That's everything. Thanks, everyone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.